Section 9 of the Natural History, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The Natural History, Volume 5, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 9, Book 22, Chapters 33 through 49. Chapter 33, The Halimon, 14 Remedies Some authors have thought that it is the asphodel that is called Halimon by Hesiod, an opinion which appears to me to be ill-founded. Halimon being the name of a distinct plant, which has been the occasion of no few mistakes committed by writers. According to some, it is a tufted shrub, white, destitute of thorns, and with leaves like those of the olive, only softer, which eaten boiled are an agreeable food. The root, they say, taken in doses of one drachma in hydromel, allays gripings of the bowels, and is a cure for the ruptures and convulsions. Others again pronounce it to be a vegetable growing near the seashore, of a salt taste, to which in fact it owes its name, with leaves somewhat round but elongated, and much esteemed as an article of food. They say, too, that there are two species of it, the wild and the cultivated, and that, mixed with bread, they are good, both of them, for dysentery, even if ulcerations should have supervened, and are useful for stomachic affections in combination with vinegar. They state also that this plant is applied raw to ulcers of long standing, and that it modifies the inflammation of recent wounds and the pain attendant upon sprains of the feet and affections of the bladder. The wild halimon, they tell us, has thinner leaves than the other, but is more effectual as a medicament in all the above cases, as also for the cure of itch, rather in man or beast. The root, too, according to them, employed as a friction, renders the skin more clear and the teeth whiter, and they assert that if the seed of it is put beneath the tongue, no thirst will be experienced. They state also that this kind is eaten as well as the other, and that they are, both of them, preserved. Cray, to us, has spoken of a third kind also, with longer leaves than the others, and more hairy, it has the smell of the cypress, he says, and grows beneath the ivy more particularly. He states that this plant is extremely good for epistheontony and contractions of the sinews, and taken in doses of three aboli to one sextarius of water. Chapter 34. The Acanthus, Paderos, or Melamphilos. Five Remedies. The Acanthus is a plant that grows in cities and is used in ornamental gardening. It has a broad, long leaf and is used as a covering for the margins of ornamental waters and of patires in gardens. There are two varieties of it, the one that is thorny and crisped is the shorter of the two. The other, which is smooth, is by some persons called paderos, and by others melamphilos. The root of this last is remarkably good for burns and sprains, and boiled with the food, the pitsisin more particularly, it is equally good for ruptures, spasms, and patients who are in apprehension of petisis. The root is also beaten up and applied warm for hot gout. Chapter 35. The Buplurion. Five Remedies. The Buplurion is reckoned by the Greeks in the number of the leguminous plants which grow spontaneously. The stem of it is a cubit in height, and leaves are long and numerous, and the head resembles that of dill. It has been extolled as an ailment by Hippocrates and for its medicinal properties by Glaucon and Nicander. 
the seed of it is good for the stings of serpents and the leaves or else the juice applied as a liniment with wine bring away the afterbirth the leaves also in combination with salt and wine are applied to scrofulous sores the root is prescribed in wine for the stings of serpents and as a diuretic chapter thirty six the buprestus one remedy with a remarkable degree of inconsistency the greek writers while praising the buprestus as an ailment point out certain antidotes to it as though it were a poison the very name however proves to a certainty that it is poisonous to cattle and it is generally admitted that on tasting it they burst asunder we shall therefore say no more about it is there any reason in fact why when we are speaking of the materials employed in making our grass crowns we should describe a poison or really ought we to enlarge upon it only to please the libidinous fancies of those who imagine that there is not a more powerful aphrodisiac in existence than this when taken in drink chapter thirty seven the elephabuscon nine remedies the elephabuscon is a feruculous plant articulated and about a finger in thickness the seed of it is like that of dill hanging in umbels resembling those of heartwort in appearance but not bitter the leaves are very like those of olastrum this plant too is highly spoken of as an article of food in addition to which it is preserved and kept as a diuretic and for the purpose of assuaging pains in the sides curing ruptures and convulsions and dispelling flatulency and colic it is used too for the cure of wounds inflicted by serpents and all kinds of animals that sting so much so indeed that as the story goes stags by eating of it fortify themselves against the attack of serpents the root too applied topically with the addition of nitre is a cure for fistula but when wanted for this purpose it must be dried first so as to retain none of the juice though on the other hand this juice does not at all impair its efficacy as an antidote to the poisons of serpents chapter thirty eight the scandix nine remedies the anthriscum two remedies the scandix too is reckoned by the greeks in the number of the wild vegetables as we have learned from opion and aristratus boiled it arrests looseness of the bowels and the seed of it administered with vinegar immediately stops hiccup it is employed topically for burns and acts as a diuretic a decoction of it is good too for affections of the stomach liver kidneys and bladder it is this plant that furnished aristophanes with his joke against the poet euripides that his mother used to sell not real vegetables but only scandix the anthriscum would be exactly the same plant as the scandix if its leaves were somewhat thinner and more odoriferous its principal virtue is that it reinvigorates the body when exhausted by sexual excesses and acts as a stimulant upon the enfeebled powers of old age it arrests leucoria in females chapter thirty nine the iosone four remedies the iosone which is also looked upon as a wild vegetable is a creeping plant full of milky juice it bears a white flower the name given to which is concilium the chief recommendation of this plant too is that it acts as an aphrodisiac eaten with the food raw in vinegar it promotes the secretion of the milk in nursing women it is salutary also for patients who are apprehensive of pathesis and applied to the head of infants it makes hair grow and renders the scalp more firm chapter forty the calculus twelve remedies the calculus too is an edible plant 
It resembles fennel in appearance and has a short stem with a white flower. It is usually considered a good cordial. The juice, too, of this plant is taken as a potion, being particularly recommended as a stomachic, a diuretic, an expellent of calculi and gravel, and for the cure of irritations of the bladder. It has the effect also of attenuating morbid secretions of the spleen, liver, and kidneys. The seed of it acts as an amenagogue and dispels the bilious secretions after childbirth. It is prescribed also for males in cases of seminal weakness. Chrysippus is of opinion that this plant promotes conception, for which purpose it is taken by women in wine, fasting. It is employed in the form of a liniment for wounds inflicted by marine animals of a venomous nature. At least we find it so stated by Patricus in his poem. Chapter 41. The Seum. Eleven Remedies. Among these plants there is reckoned also the seum. It grows in the water, has a leaf broader than that of parsley, thicker and of a more swarthy color, bears a considerable quantity of seed, and has the taste of nasturtum. It is an active diuretic, is very good for the kidneys and spleen, and acts as an amenagogue, either eaten by itself as an aliment, or taken in the form of a decoction. The seed of it is taken in wine in doses of two drachma. It disperses calculi in the bladder and neutralizes the action of water which tend to their formation. Used in the form of an injection, it is good for dysentery and applied topically for the removal of freckles. It is applied by females at night for the removal of spots on the face, a result which it produces almost instantaneously. It has the effect also of assuaging hernia and is good for the scab in horses. Chapter 42. The Syllabum The syllabum resembles the white chameleon and is a plant quite as prickly. In Sicilia, Syria, and Phoenicia, the countries where it grows, it is not thought worthwhile to boil it, the cooking of it being so extremely troublesome, it is said. It is of no use whatever in medicine. Chapter 43. The Scolomos, or Limonia. Five Remedies. The scolomos, too, is used as an ailment in the east, where it also has the name of limonia. This is a shrub-like plant, which never exceeds a cubit in height, with tufted leaves and a black root, but sweet. Eratosthenes speaks highly of it as a diet used by the poor. It is said to possess diuretic properties in a very high degree, and to heal lichens and leprous sores applied with vinegar. Taken in wine, it acts as an aphrodisiac, according to the testimony of Hasiad and Alcius, who have stated in their writings that while it is in blossom, the song of the grasshopper is louder than at other times, women more inflamed with desire and men less inclined to amorous intercourse, and that it is by a kind of foresight on the part of nature that this powerful stimulant is then in its greatest perfection. The root, too, used without the pith, corrects the noisome odor of the armpits in doses of one ounce to two hermenae of Falermian wine, the mixture being boiled down to one-third and taken fasting after the bath, as also after meals, one cyathus at a time. It is a remarkable thing, but Xenocrates assures us that he has ascertained it experimentally, that these bad odors are carried off by the urine. Chapter 44. The Songkos, Two Varieties, Fifteen Remedies. The Songkos, too, is edible. At least it was this, that, according to Callimachus Hecale, set before Theseus. There are two kinds, the white and the black. They are both of them similar to the lettuce, except that they are prickly, with a stem a cubit in height, angular and hollow within. When broken, the stem gives out an abundance of milky juice. 
the white kind which derives its color from the milk it contains is good for hardness of breathing if eaten dressed with seasoning like the lettuce aristatris says that it carries off calculi by the urine and that chewed it is a corrective of bad breath the juice of it taken warm in doses of three cyathi with white wine and oil facilitates delivery but the patient must be careful to walk about immediately after drinking it it is also given in broth a decoction of the stalk renders the milk more abundant in nursing women and improves the complexion of the infants suckled by them it is also remarkably beneficial for females when the milk coagulates the juice of it is used as an injection for the ears and is taken warm in doses of one cyathus for strangulary as also for gnawing pains of the stomach with cucumber seed and pine nuts it is employed topically for abscesses of the rectum and is taken in drink for the stings of serpents and scorpions the root also being applied to the wounds the root boiled in oil with the rind of a pomegranate is a remedy for diseases of the ears all these remedies however be it remembered are derived from the white kind as to the black sonkos cleomporus forbids it to be eaten as being productive of diseases but at the same time he approves of the use of the white agathocles however goes so far as to assert that the juice of the black kind is an antidote for poisoning by bull's blood and indeed it is generally agreed that the black sonkos has certain refreshing properties for which reason cataplasms of it may be advantageously applied with polenta zeno recommends the root of the white kind for strangulary chapter forty five the chondrian or chondrilla six remedies the chondrian or chondrilla has leaves eaten away as it were at the edges and similar to those of endive a stalk less than a foot in length and a full of a bitter juice and a root resembling that of a bean and occasionally very ramified it produces near the surface of the earth a sort of mastich in a tubercular form the size of a bean this mastich it is said employed as a pessary promotes the menstrual discharge this plant pounded whole with the roots is divided into lozenges which are employed for the stings of serpents and probably with good effect for field mice it is said when injured by those reptiles are in the habit of eating this plant a decoction of it in wine arrests looseness of the bowels and makes a most excellent substitute for gum as a bandolin for the eyelashes even when the hairs are most stubborn dorotheus says in his poems that it is extremely good for the stomach and the digestive organs some persons however have been of opinion that it is unwholesome for females bad for the eyesight and productive of impotence in the male sex chapter forty six mushrooms peculiarities of their growth among those vegetable productions which are eaten with risk i shall with good reason include mushrooms a very dainty food it is true but deservedly held in disesteem since the notorious crime committed by agrippina who through their agency poisoned her husband the emperor claudius at the same moment in the person of his son nero inflicted another poisonous curse upon the whole world herself in particular some of the poisonous mushrooms are easily known being of a rank unwholesome look light red without and livid within with the clefts considerably enlarged and a pale sickly margin to the head these characteristics however are not presented by others of the poisonous kinds but being dry to all appearance and strongly resembling the genuine ones they present white spots upon the head on the surface of the outer coat the earth in fact first produces the uterus or receptacle for the mushroom and then mushroom within like the yolk in the egg nor is this envelope less conducive to the nutrition of the young mushroom 
than is the albumen of the egg to that of the chicken bursting forth from the envelope at the moment of its first appearance as it gradually increases it becomes transformed into a substantial stalk it is but very rarely too that we find two growing from a single foot stalk the generative principle of the mushroom is in the slime and the fermenting juices of the damp earth or of the roots of most of the glandiferous trees it appears at first in the shape of a sort of viscous foam and then assumes a more substantial but membranous form after which as already stated the young mushroom appears in general these plants are of a pernicious nature and the use of them should be altogether rejected for if by chance they should happen to grow near a hobnail a piece of rusty iron or a bit of rotten cloth they will immediately imbibe all these foreign emanations and flavors and transform them into poison who in fact is able to distinguish them except those who dwell in the country or the persons that are in the habit of gathering them there are other circumstances too which render them noxious if they grow near the hole of a serpent for instance or if they should happen to have been breathed upon by one when just beginning to open being all the more disposed to imbibe the venom from their natural affinity to poisonous substances it will therefore be as well to be on our guard during the season at which the serpents have not as yet retired to their holes for the winter the best sign to know this by is a multitude of herbs of trees and of shrubs which remain green from the time that these reptiles leave their holes till their return indeed the ash alone will be quite different for the purpose the leaves of it never coming out after the serpents have made their appearance or beginning to fall before they have retired to their holes the entire existence of the mushroom from its birth to its death is never more than seven days chapter forty seven fungi signs by which the venomous kinds may be recognized nine remedies fungi are of a more human nature than the last and are divided into numerous kinds all of which are derived solely from the pituitous humors of trees the safest are those on the flesh of which is red the color being more pronounced than that of the mushroom the next best are the white ones the stems of which have a head very similar to the apex worn by the flemens and a third kind are the suili very conveniently adapted for poisoning indeed it is but very recently that they have carried off whole families and all the guests at a banquet aeneas serenus for instance the prefect of nero's guard together with all the tribunes and centurions what great pleasure then can there be in partaking of a dish of so doubtful a character as this some persons have classified these fungi according to the trees to which they are indebted for their formation the fig for instance the fennel giant and the gummiferous trees those belonging to the beech the robur and the cypress not being edible as already mentioned but who is there to give us a guarantee that when they come to market that these distinctions have been observed all of the poisonous fungi are of a livid color and the degree of similarity borne by the sap of the tree itself to that of the fig will afford an additional indication whether they are venomous or not we have already mentioned various remedies for the poison of fungi and shall have occasion to make mention of others but in the meantime it will be well to observe that they themselves also have some medicinal uses glaucius is of the opinion that mushrooms are good for the stomach the salilia are dried and strung up upon a rush as we see done with those brought from bithynia they are employed as a remedy for the fluxes known as rheumatismi and for excrescences of the fundament which they diminish and gradually consume they are used also for freckles and spots on women's faces a wash too is made of them as is done with lead for maladies of the eyes 
steeped in water they are applied topically to foul ulcers eruptions of the head and bites inflicted by dogs i would here also give some general directions for the cooking of mushrooms as this is the only article of food that the voluptuaries of the present day are in the habit of dressing with their own hands and so feeding upon it in anticipation being provided with amber-handled knives and silver plates and dishes for the purpose those fungi may be looked upon as bad which come hard in cooking while those on the other hand are comparatively innoxious which admit of being thoroughly boiled with the addition of some nitre they will be all the safer if they are boiled with some meat or the stalks of pears it is a very good plan too to eat pears directly after them vinegar too being of a nature diametrically opposed to them neutralizes their dangerous qualities chapter forty eight sylphium seven remedies all these productions owe their origin to rain and by rain is sylphium produced it originally came from sarani as already stated at the present day it is mostly imported from syria the produce of which country though better than that of media is inferior to the parthian kind as already observed the sylphium of Cyrene no longer exists it is of considerable use in medicine the leaves of it being employed to purge the uterus and as an expellent of the dead fetus for which purposes a decoction of them is made in white aromatic wine and taken in doses of one acetabulum immediately after the bath the root of it is good for irritations of the trachea and is employed topically for extravasted blood but used as an aliment it is difficult of digestion being productive of flatulency and accretations it is injurious also to the urinary secretions combined with wine and oil it is extremely good for bruises and with wax for the cure of scrofulous sores repeated fumigations with the root causes excrescences of the anus to subside chapter forty nine laser thirty nine remedies laser a juice which distills from sylphium as we have already stated and reckoned among the most precious gifts presented to us by nature is made use of in numerous medicinal preparations employed by itself it warms and revives persons benumbed with cold and taken in drink it alleviates affections of the sinews it is given to females in wine and is used with soft wool as a pessary to promote the menstrual discharge mixed with wax it extracts corns on the feet after they have been first loosened with the knife a piece of it the size of a chickpea melted in water acts as a diuretic andreas assures us that taken in considerable doses even it is never productive of flatulency and that it greatly promotes the digestion both in aged people and females he says too that it is better used in winter than in summer and that even then it is best suited for those whose beverage is water but due care must be taken that there is no internal ulceration taken with the food it is very refreshing for patients just recovering from an illness indeed if it is used at the proper time it has all the virtues of a desiccatory though it is more wholesome for persons who are in the habit of using it than for those who do not ordinarily employ it as to external maladies the undoubted virtues of this medicament are universally acknowledged taken in drink it has the effect also of neutralizing the venom of serpents and of poisoned weapons and applied with water it is in general use for the cure of wounds in combination with oil it is only used as a liniment for the stings of scorpions and with barley meal or dried figs for the cure of ulcers that have not come to a head it is applied topically also to carbuncles with rue or honey or else by itself with some viscous substance to make it adhere 
For the bites of dogs also it is similarly employed. A decoction of it in vinegar with pomegranate rind is used for extricances of the fundament and mixed with nitra for the corns commonly known as morticini. In cases of alopecia which have been first treated with nitra, it makes the hair grow again, applied with wine and saffron, or else pepper or mouse dung and vinegar. For chillblains, fomentations are made of it with wine or liniments with oil, as also for callosities and indurations. For corns on the feet, if paired first, it is particularly useful, as also as a preservative against the effects of bad water and of unhealthy climates or weather. It is prescribed for cough to affections of the uvula, jaundice of long standing, dropsy, and hoarseness, having the effect of instantly clearing the throat and restoring the voice. Diluted in oxycrate and applied with a sponge, it assuages the pains in gout. It is also given in broth to patients suffering from pleurisy when about to take wine, and it is prescribed for convulsions and epistotony in pills about as large as a chickpea coated with wax. For quincy, it is used as a gargle, and to patients troubled with asthma or inveterate cough, it is given with leeks in vinegar. It is prescribed also with vinegar after drinking buttermilk. It is recommended with wine for consumptive affections of the viscera and epilepsy, and with hydromel for paralysis of the tongue. With a decoction of honey, it forms a liniment for sciatica and lumbago. For my own part, I should not recommend what some authors advise, to insert a pill of laser covered with wax in a hollow tooth for toothache, being warned to the contrary by a remarkable case of a man who, after doing so, threw himself headlong from the top of a house. Besides, it is a well-known fact that if it is rubbed on the muzzle of a bull, it irritates him to an extraordinary degree, and that if it is mixed with wine, it will cause serpents to burst, those reptiles being extremely fond of wine. In addition to this, I should not advise anyone to rub the gums with attic honey, although that practice is recommended by some. It would be an endless task to enumerate all the uses to which laser is put, in combination with other substances, and the more so as it is only our object to treat of simple remedies, it being these in which nature displays her resources. In the compound remedies, too, we often find our judgment deceived, and quite at fault from our comparative inattention to the sympathy or antipathy which naturally exists between the ingredients employed. On this subject, however, we shall have to enlarge on a future occasion. End of section 9.